Well, I told you, didn't I? Worship was good. I know I was getting text messages, and I don't know what y'all are going to do when we start back to regular church, and you can't text me in the middle of the service. But, but I literally was getting text messages say, man, that was a great song. Wow, it's good. And so anyway, I appreciate our worship team and all the work they put in and, and our tech team that literally works all week long to make sure that this morning works. And, you know, and changing camera angles and lights and stuff like that, trying to make everything just flow better. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, we're going to start in verse 45. That's Matthew 27, 45. And John 19, we'll start in verse 28. John 19, verse 28. You know, while you're turning there, um, let's go ahead and get started. Get your coffee, get your Coke, get your bottle of water. Or if you're feeling really spiritual today, get your sip of Diet Coke. And we're about to dive into it. Matthew 27, John 19. But you know, I, I was sitting yesterday, I come up here as my, my routine on Saturdays. I come up and, and just kind of go over my notes one more good time. And I couldn't help but sit over here in the sanctuary and was thinking that on March 13th, about 1.30 in the afternoon, we literally had a staff meeting in the middle of the parking lot on um, conference call with Donnie and me and Frank trying to make a decision about that Sunday morning. And so on the 13th of March, we was making a decision for the 15th as to whether or not we was going to cancel Sunday school and 8 o'clock worship that day. And at that point, it was just the beginning. There was no deaths. There wasn't a lot of confirmed cases. And then today, we're sitting here with over 400 deaths. You know, and so um, it's hard to believe that just in three weeks, things have changed that much. You know, and now we're starting to find out a lot of people that we know personally are starting to, to have this virus and are in the hospital or at home. And so we need to constantly be praying, you know, that, that God will, will heal our land and, 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 this will, and this will pass. And I'm convinced it will pass. But let me tell you this this morning. God hadn't quit moving. Just because we're not in these walls, God is still moving at Live Oak Baptist Church and all of our other churches in our area. You know, two or three weeks ago, we had the opportunity. I, I was excited to announce that Miss um, Angela Venable joined our church. Well, this week, this week, we had three more join our church. Um, Melissa White Naquin, Jane Chandler, and Mr. Jerry Hastings joined this week. And they all joined by statement or by letter. And, and there's a little bit more exciting news that I'll share in, in a couple of months uh, about one of these. But you know what? March. And I'll be real honest, real honest, as your pastor, we prayed for finances because when people aren't here, you know, that's part of our income. Probably 55, 60% of our income is the offering plate in Sunday school. Well, we closed March in the black and God gets all the glory for that because people are still joining our church. People are still giving to our church. The work's continuing even though we're not meeting here. And so how big is our God? How big is your God today? How big was your God yesterday? How big is he going to be tomorrow? And if I wasn't handcuffed and chained to this bar stool, I'd run around the sanctuary real quick because I'm excited about what God's doing here. And he's moving. And when we do come back together, I'm just telling you, it's going to be a party. We're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a dinner on the grounds like no other. And we're going to celebrate being back together because I think there's an awful lot of us that we're ready to be back together. Even the people that said they're introverts are texting me saying, I'm ready for people. 
And so, um, so we're, it's going to come, and it's going to come fast. And so back, um, go to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, I'll start in verse 45. It said, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of them were standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus, um, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died was raised to life. Now let's go over to John. Go ahead and go over with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 28. And it said, Later, knowing that everything had been now finished, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. And so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received a drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, just to say that we love you, Father, and I thank you again for today, Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have, Father, to just to, to go into your word, Father, and see what those three words, Father, what it is finished means to us. Father, how when we choose those words and accept those words, Father, we can have calm in the midst of chaos. Father, we love you. In son's name I pray, amen. You know, whenever you read those words and you start looking and you talk about chaos, and that's what we've been for the last two or three weeks is choosing calm over chaos. And you look at the life of Jesus and especially those last hours, it was a lot of chaos. It was chaotic in the life of Jesus. You know, when you go back and you look and we'll just use Thursday. You know, if you go back and look at Thursday, Jesus was having a Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. That's what we've come to know as the Lord's Supper. Next Sunday... This is a commercial at 9 o'clock. We're going to do the Lord's Supper. Here at the church, we have these little communion cups. They're all in one. They've got a wafer on the top of them and got your juice. They're sitting outside the back door. You can come pick these up or you can get, you know, grape juice and crackers or bread for your house. And we're going to celebrate that together. But you know what? That's where Jesus was at that Thursday. He was with his disciples and they was doing the, this Lord's Supper, what we're going to talk more about next week. Jesus told him, he said, somebody's going to betray me. Somebody tonight's going to betray me. And then what did he do? He left there and he went ahead and he washed their feet and then they left. And they go into the garden of Gethsemane and while they're there, he brings two or three chosen disciples with him. And as they're in the garden and they're supposed to be praying with him, they literally go to sleep and he has to wake them up and wake them up and wake them up and say, look, you know, I need you here with me. And as Jesus finished praying and he got up, what happens? Judas comes up, kisses him on the cheek, and Jesus is arrested. And the chaos starts at that point. You know, the next morning, they bring him on trial early in the morning before Pilate, who was the governor. 
Pilate didn't even want to touch him. He didn't want no part of it because he didn't see anything wrong with Jesus. So he sends Jesus to, Jer to, I mean, to, to Herod. And as Jesus gets to Herod, Herod don't want no part of it. So he sends him back to Pilate. Well, in custom back in that day was that a, a, a convicted um, criminal was released. And so Pilate gave him the choice. He said, either you can have Barabbas or you can have Jesus. And the crowd chose Barabbas. They chose a convicted felon to be released. You know, as I was looking at that, and for years I grew up at Amen Baptist Church, and we did a thing called the Easter drama every year. And it was a big deal. And I can, I'm just being honest, one of my least favorite scenes in that was that scene when Pilate was up in, in the, the um, tower that we had built, you know, the balcony that we had built at Amen. And he would look down and he'd say, who do you choose? And he's innocent, he's innocent. And the, the crowd would chant, Barabbas, Barabbas. And then they would immediately go into chanting to crucify Jesus. And I can remember as a grown young man sitting on the front row of that uh, sanctuary and I would weep because we do the same thing today. We choose the world over Jesus. And that's just what they was doing. And so Jesus, so Pilate um, sentences Jesus to death. And so Jesus, back then, they didn't have the electric chair. They didn't have, you know, the gas chamber and all these type of things, lethal injection. It was a heavy wooden cross. And Jesus had to carry his own cross to his own death. And that was my part of the drama. For years, I, I was a soldier. And, um, and then I trans they moved me over to where I would sit down front when Jesus would start coming up that aisle and he would drop that cross. And then I would be the one that guards would choose out of the crowd to pick the cross up and finish carrying it for him. And so for me, that was always kind of real if that makes sense because I was carrying the cross of Jesus. And, and so, you know, so Jesus that morning, all this happens in a whirlwind. He's arrested one evening. By the next morning, he, he's convicted and he's walking to his death carrying a cross. You know, and then you go into the early morning and the afternoon and they're, they're literally gambling for his clothes. They leave him in a loincloth. They leave him basically in just underwear. And the guards are gambling for his clothes. And, and so, and they're mocking him and they're putting a crown of thorns on his head. But then it goes on and, and they, they put the nails in his hands. They put the nails in his feet. And all of this is fulfilling prophecy. If you go back and read the Old Testament, all of this is fulfilling what was coming. And as they put him up on that cross, and then you, you see what we just read, you know, he chooses. Through all of this, he chooses to remain obedient. He chooses in the midst of chaos to say, God, I'm going to fulfill what you sent me here to do, and I'm going to be obedient. At any given time, he could have called thousands and thousands of angels out of heaven to protect him and take him away from there. But he didn't. What did he do? He laid there and endured it for us. You know, all of this scripture, all of this scripture culminates right here. And this is all we have to prove to the world. Because if we can go in and get them to accept the fact that Jesus lived and he died on this cross, then the rest of this is going to make sense. And there's more, histori more historical documentation to prove the cross than any other event in history. But we have to be willing to, to, to believe it. 
We have to be willing to do it. You know, and the chaos didn't stop whenever, whenever Jesus said it is finished and he took his last breath. As soon as he took his last breath, there was an earthquake. There was a darkness that come over the land in, in the middle of the day. There was one of the centurions, one of the guards that was there that literally looked up and said, surely this is the Son of God. It become real to him at the moment that Jesus took his last breath. Soldiers broke the two thieves on both sides of Jesus' legs, but they didn't break his legs. And again, that's, that's in Scripture, that his bones wouldn't be broken. A guy named Joseph comes up and he says, hey, can I have Jesus' body? Jesus is buried in a barred tomb. And next week, we're going to talk more about that. Next week, me and Donnie's going to be on his patio at 7 o'clock, and we're going to do a sunrise, just me and him on his patio. And we're going to have conversations about an empty tomb. And that's what we're going to talk about. And then we're going to come back here for nine for our regular service. But you know what? I want you to see this morning as we're talking that in the midst of rat race, in the midst of chaos, in the, in the, in the midst of uncertainty, Jesus never wavered in his faith. He never wavered. He did what he was sent to do. Where was his friends? Where was his followers? They was hiding in fear. They left him alone. Think about it. But Jesus didn't tap out. Even in the midst of being alone right there, he still fulfilled what he was supposed to do. But you know what? I want to go backwards a little bit. And you don't have to turn here. I'll read these to you. But there was seven things that Jesus did while he was on that cross to me, that really show the heart of who Jesus is, the heart of what God wants, and the reason that we should keep our heads up and we should choose calm over chaos. You know, the first thing Jesus did, you know, that really jumps in Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus had been betrayed. He had been sent through a, a mock trial where he was set up. All the crowds, everybody that stood in the streets a couple of days before singing Hosanna and waving palm branches and getting excited are now hollering, crucify him, crucify him. So the crowds turned against him. The guards was gambling his clothes away. With all that going on, what does Jesus do? In Luke 23, verse 34, it says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right there, Jesus is showing and even with what's going on still showing who he was God just please forgive them they don't understand what they're doing to me forgive them forgive them so what's he going to do for us that shows how big his forgiveness is that shows how big he is he's hanging on a cross and there's three of them you know, there's a, a criminals on both sides of him. And as he's hanging there, one of the criminals is literally mocking him. You know, they're cursing him and mocking him. The criminal on the other side is talking to him. And he sees there's something different about him. But you know, what, is, what does Jesus do? You know, in Luke 23, he looks at him and he tells him, Today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Hanging on the cross. Jesus is still worried about forgiveness and Jesus is still worried about people's souls and where they're going to spend eternity. Think about that. Think about that. And then in John 19, John 19, hanging on a cross, he looks at his mother and looks at one of the disciples. 
And he says, woman, behold thy son. Even hanging on a cross, he's taking care of his mother. See, because back in that day, there wasn't a social security system. There wasn't a, 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 a system set up to take care of the widows and the, and the senior adults. That, was, that went back to the families. That's why back in that day, you saw all the families live together. And so Jesus was making sure that his mother was taken care of even in his last moments on earth. He looked down and he said, woman, behold thy son. And he gets one of his disciples to be there. But then it, he, he changes. And we see the real human side of Jesus right here. In Mark 15, verse 34, what's it say? It says, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Right there, he's calling out, God, why am I alone? God, why am I feeling the weight of all this on me right now? Why have you left me? But he still don't give up. He still keeps his eyes focused on, on God and in the purpose that he came here. Even whenever he felt the most alone in his life. And I think that's something that we need to claim as believers. We need to know that God's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He's always going to be there for us. But we have to stay focused on him. No matter what the waves are doing, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago when the waves were crashing over the boat, God was just as much in control. He was just as much in control at this moment. And again, he shows... You know, his human side, in John 19, 28, it says, I thirst. You know, he's telling us, I thirst. And then further on in John 19, verse 30, it says, it is finished. Those three words changed everything. Those three words, when he says, it is finished. It is finished. God, I have come, I have completed my task. God, I have walked this earth. God, I have healed the people you wanted me to heal. God, I have taught what you wanted me to teach. God, I have fulfilled the prophecy. Now it's finished. Wow. If we could grasp those words and really believe them. But then in Luke 23, after he says that, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Saying, God, God, I'm putting my life in your hands right now. Because what we're going to talk about next week is where he goes into that tomb for three days and then he comes out. So, can we rest in those words where it says it is finished? Can we rest in that? You know, whenever you start looking, because of Jesus' finished work and his death and his resurrection, Believers, believers, we have security of God's grace. Our debt's been paid in full. Because of what he did on the cross, our debt's paid in full. We need only to have faith. We need to trust who Jesus is and what he did for us. It's not a performance-based thing now. It's about having faith. It's about having trust and saying, God, I know you sent your son for me. God, I know what you did for me. God, I know you took your last breath on that cross and then beat death in the tomb. I like in Scripture where it goes back and it says that he tore the veil from top to bottom. 
You know, and, and a lot of times we think, well, you know, that's not a big deal. I can tear material. I can tear material. That could have just been a freak accident from the earthquake that that material was tore. But you got to look at that curtain. What that curtain, you know, that curtain represented where it took a priest on one side that only that priest could go beyond that curtain to atone for their sins back then. But that curtain with just a piece of material, that curtain, they say it was about 30 foot tall and 30 foot wide, four inches thick. That's a big piece of material. You know, I've seen those strongman teams that'll come into your churches and stuff and they'll tear telephone books and they'll roll frying pans and stuff. I don't think they can tear a four-inch piece of material from top to bottom, 30 feet. But why did he do that? Because the death of Jesus opened up into a way for the world to be intimate with God. It opened up a holy, personal, forgiven, joyful fellowship with God. Because when that, tem- when that curtain was torn, God was saying, in John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because that curtain was torn, now we can go straight through Jesus. We don't have to go through man. We don't have to be good enough. None of us are good enough. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to to buy a lamb or buy a dove and sacrifice it no more. Jesus become the ultimate sacrifice. He said, I'm good. I did this for you. The temple is, um, the veil is now torn. That curtain's torn. Come straight to me through my son. Walk into my presence through my son. I have to believe, I have to believe that he longs for the day that we all come to that completion in our life. That he longs for that day to where we can say, God, it is finished. God, I have lived my life. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. It is finished. Because he wants us to be obedient. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to choose him. So right now in the world, when you start looking, you know, and as you, and, and I'll be the first one to tell you every day about one o'clock, I go to the website where it updates how many people have had reported cases of this COVID-19 and how many deaths that we have. And, and I look at that and I really pray for those people. But I've chosen calm over chaos. I've chosen God, you're in control. And this week that we're leading up to right now for Easter Sunday, this is different than we've ever done. There's not even articles out hardly on the internet on how to do an Easter service through an empty building. But again, it's not about the building. And that's why I think next week for Live Oak Baptist Church, as I was praying, that's why I wanted us on Easter Sunday to do something special. I wanted us to do the Lord's Supper next week. And even though that... There's going to be nine or ten of us here in the sanctuary leading you through that, and you're going to be in your homes. It don't matter because it's about you and God. And it's about you choosing calm over chaos. You know, but are we going to do that? Can we say that we believe the words, it is finished? Can we, can we say that we believe the fact that when Jesus said those words, it was really true? that he came and he walked and he did what God called him to do on this earth so that we could be sitting here today. So that we could be listening to these words today. There's people that need to hear this. There's people that need to hear your story. A lot of you've heard my story. There's people that need to hear your story. They need to hear you say, 
I come to that place in my life where whenever he said it is finished on that cross that I knew he did that for me. And today I'm more alive than I've ever been in my life. Today I'm more alive than I've ever been because today I know where I'm going to spend my eternity. Today I know that my God loves me. There's people that need to hear that today. You need to call them and say, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what my God did for me. Let me tell you what my God did for you. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to get the word out. Today's easier than ever because you don't even have to invite them to church today. You can say, hey, go watch this on Facebook Live. Go watch this on the YouTube channel. And let's talk about it afterwards. Hey, won't you tune in to Sunday School with me on Zoom in a few minutes and sit in my class that I get to sit in week in and week out? But what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose God? Are we going to choose the world? Are we going to be the ones that's going to be hollering, crucifying, crucifying, crucifying? Or are we going to say, God, I love you. God, I need you. I'm going to pray in just a second, and the worship team's going to go back up. And again, you know, typically in this part, we do an invitation where you can respond down front. You're saying, well, Brother Johnny, I'm sitting in my living room. You can respond there. You can respond there. In just a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's going to be what sounds like a simple prayer, but it's a life-changing prayer. And if you've never chose God, if you've never asked him to become the Lord of your life, if you've never asked him for forgiveness, let today be that day. Let today be the day that you pray and you ask him to forgive your sins and ask him to become the Lord of your life. And as I pray, just repeat these words in, my, in your heart. But then respond. You know, you can go to our church app, go to our website and download our church app. And there's a tab on there that'll take you through all the scriptures too. It'll walk you through them or reach out to us. But today I'm going to pray that prayer. And I'm going to ask you just to pray it with me if you've never asked him to become the Lord of your life. Father, I know that I've sinned. And I know that I've done things I shouldn't have. And today I'm asking you to forgive me. And Father, I know that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. Father, and I want you to become my Lord. Father, I love you. If you prayed that prayer and if you meant it, text me, shoot me an email, reach out through Facebook on Messenger or something. Call our church office. Let us follow up with you. Let us celebrate that with you. Let us show you how to take the next step and be discipled. Know, grow, go. Let us show you how to do that. And when we all come back together, be obedient in baptism. But I'm going to close this in prayer.
and we're going to worship. Father, we just come to you again, Lord. Just say that we love you, Father. And wow, what a day. Father, what a day that we can come and celebrate what you completed by sending your son to die on the cross for us. Father, today I just ask, Father, I beg that if there was somebody that prayed that prayer today that meant it for the first time, Father, they might not have ever walked through the doors of Live Oak Baptist Church, Father, or any church for that matter. Father, but today they know that they've they've accepted you, Father, that they've asked you to become the Lord of their life. Father, give them the courage, Father, to reach out. Father, let us follow up, Father, and help celebrate that with them, Father, and help them take the next step in growth and baptism. Father, I just ask, Father, you just be with our church, be with our community, be with our people. Father, let them know that you're always there, Father, and that you're in control. Father, we love you. Father, and again, I just thank you for today. Father, we love you. You know, and we're about to worship. But if you're here today and if you know that, you you know, I want to be part of a church that's not scared of the gospel. I want to be part of a church that's living it and taking it to the streets. Call, contact us. Make Live Oak your home. Make Live Oak that church, that place that you can grow and know and you can find out where your ministry opportunities are and let us fan the flames on those. Thank you.